So today I want to talk about contentment. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. If you have your outline, feel free to take that out too. Uh, Luke chapter 2. We're talking about contentment today. And the question I have for you today, is it even possible in the world in which we now live to really be content, to have contentment? You know, Christmas is, is, is you know, so wonderful in so many ways, and yet uh, can be very stressful in other, other ways. Uh, for example, uh, let me tell you about a birthday that I had back in December of 1999. December 16th, 1999. I've shared my story with you before, so if you've been around a while, you've heard this before. But uh, I was just having my 40th birthday, my 40, the big 4-0, December 16th, 1999. And it was a great day. You know, we had birthday party. Uh, my family and I, uh, Sandy, Corey, and Kiri, they were just young teenagers at the time. We went out uh, to a restaurant that evening and uh, enjoyed uh, a nice dinner together. We're singing songs together on the way home and you're kind of just goofing off. This was the day way before cell phones, you know, 1999. At least we, we didn't have one. Hardly anybody we knew had one. So uh, we get home and the phone, you know, what, you know, that thing hanging on the wall, you know, that, you know, with a long cord, uh, uh, that phone is, was ringing, and, and I thought, oh, I bet it's my mother calling me to wish me happy birthday. Well, it was my father, and I could tell he was shook up, and, and he said, Greg, it's your mother. She just had a massive stroke, and it doesn't look good. So, Greg, you, you might want to think about coming home. So uh, we, you know, we, we packed up, made our plans, and early the next morning, uh, we go to uh, the hospital where she's at in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We, we get there early, like Friday morning. And uh, my, uh, my dad is there. My sisters and family are there. Some, some cousins are there. Some aunts and uncles are there. Even some of my grandma and grandpas are there. And, uh, and it's all about, you know, my mom, how's she doing? And she's been basically unconscious, you know, for hours and hours now. And uh, I go into the room, and actually, if I remember right, my daughter Carrie was with me. And uh, we go into the room because they would only allow one or two in at a time. And uh, my mother is lying there, and she's unconscious, and uh, uh, one side is paralyzed. And, and as I started to talk to her, you know, hi, Mom, it's Greg, I'm here. She opened her eyes just briefly, looked at me, and her one hand, you know, her one side was paralyzed, but her one hand, she kind of just went like that, and then she closed her eyes. And as far as we know, that's the last time she ever opened her eyes. And uh, uh, actually, she was, was declared legally dead a few days later, and a uh, long story there. But uh, so Friday and Saturday and Sunday uh, were, you know, my mother is still lingering. And you know how it is sometimes. You have a whole team of doctors working and, and uh, you know, the brain specialist and the heart specialist and this and that and the other. And, and, and our hopes are going up and our hopes are going down. We're still hoping that mom might pull through this. And uh, we're, uh, you know, oh, we're feeling more hopeful. Oh, now we're getting some bad news. Oh, well, maybe, but then you know how it is. You're on this roller coaster and it's Saturday and we're all there in the waiting room. And all of a sudden the phone in the waiting room rings and my uncle Jack goes over and he answers it and he puts the phone down and he comes over and he starts to cry and he approaches my father and he looks at my dad and he says, your dad just died. And we're like, what? 
And so my, my dad's wife and his father died basically at the same time. And, you know, so we have to process that. And then uh, a couple of days later, my mother was declared legally dead and we donated some of her organs to, you know, to other people and, and all of that. Uh, so, so then Monday night, we have the viewing for my grandfather. Tuesday night, we have my grandfather's funeral. Wednesday night, we have the viewing for my mother. And Thursday night, we have the funeral for my mother. And Saturday is Christmas. Merry Christmas, right? Now, I know I'm not alone in this because I know many of you have lost loved ones and, and can tell stories like that where maybe you've lost more than one loved one close to each other. And, and, and then on top of that, you know, despite the, in, in addition to all of the, just the, the, the grief and, and the losses that, that we, we have, we, we just have the daily grind of life, right? And we have all the stresses of life. You have your jobs or your loss of a job. And, and uh, you know, sometimes things can get scary. You know, what's my future going to be with my job and my situation or, or someone's sick or uh, j just the daily demands and disappointments of life. And so I come back to that question, it, given the kind of lives we have to live and all the challenges we have to face, is it even possible to really be content? To live with satisfaction and joy and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What I want us to see this morning is that through it all, in spite of it all, contentment is possible. Contentment is possible. It has to be learned, but it's, it's possible. Because of Christ, because of Christmas, it's possible. Let's remind ourselves of the Christmas story. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, and I want to begin in, in verse 1. For those of us who have been believers very long and who read our scriptures very much, very, very, very common story, very familiar story to us. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now there's a whole story right there, isn't there? She was pledged to be married to him. And was expecting a child. We, we referenced this in, in the message a couple of weeks ago. The stress and anxiety of all that. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I, I love this Christmas story. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Peace on earth. But let's ask the question, is this realistic? Peace on earth. Good news. Really? Can we still believe in Christmas? I've, I've been reading Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God. Finding God in the Modern World, great book, encourage you to read it. It has a lot to say about our modern society today and how we Christians need to, to wrestle with all the issues in, in our society today. And, and he has a chapter on satisfaction, and he refers to a well-known book called The Happiness Hypothesis. It's a secular book written by some famous scholar somewhere. It's called The Happiness Hypothesis. And it surveys all the theories about how to be happy. And, and, and it's quite interesting. One of the fascinating things that he says is that studies show that there's actually a weak correlation between happiness and wealth. In fact, he says that, that studies show that the wealthier a society becomes, the more depression there is. And, and you, you start thinking about, wow, because you could say that right now we are living in one of the most prosperous, wealthiest countries ever in the whole world, and yet our suicide rate, our depression rate, our unhappiness rate is, is, is just through, through the roof. And, and he says, so there's really a very weak correlation between wealth and happiness, and, and yet, you and I, in spite of all that, we are still tempted, are we not? We are still tempted to think, wow, if I could just be a little wealthier, I'd be happier. If I could just have a little more money, life would be better, and I would be more content. Now, I know what you're thinking. I would like to put that theory to the test, right? You know, uh, Greg, I hear all the statistics, but I'm still convinced if I had a little more <laughs> I would be happier. I would be better off. We, we, we all think that way. Tim Keller refers to a song that the singer uh, Peggy Lee recorded in 1969. In the first service, I asked how many people uh, heard of Peggy Lee, and all the elderly people raised their hand. So, gotcha. Gotcha. I, I had never heard of Peggy Lee. It was way before my time. And uh, so I actually had to get on YouTube. And listen to it. Now, don't get on it right now. I don't want to hear any Peggy Lee songs right now. But she's, she sings a song that's called, Is That All There Is? Is That All There Is? And, and, and as she sings the song, she talks through 
part of, of, of the song. And she kind of tells her life story through the song. And, and the refrain is, is that all there is? Is that all there is? She was taken as a 12-year-old little girl to a circus. And the circus was touted as the greatest show on earth. And she goes as a 12-year-old to this circus, the greatest show on earth. And she remembers going home thinking, is that all there is to this circus? Later on, she says she, she fell so very much in love with the most wonderful boy in the whole world. And then one day he left her, and she thought she would die. But she didn't. And then she thought, is that all there is to love? At every turn where she thought she would be delighted and satisfied, she wasn't. Nothing was big enough to fill that hole in her heart. All through her life, she kept asking, is that it? The refrain of the song keeps repeating, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. She was driven to joyless partying. She becomes more jaded and cynical and numb. She goes on to say, oh, don't worry, I won't commit suicide. She says, I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm in no hurry for that final disappointment. Because I know just as well as, as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll still be saying to myself, is that all there is? She's become so discontented and now so cynical that she thinks even death will be a disappointment. Keller says that most people, they spend their lives trying to resolve their discontentment in one way or another. And he actually lists seven ways that we tend to, to, to seek contentment. Let me, let me just briefly uh, share these with you. Seven ways. And the first four ways says that it's still out there. Contentment is out there. I've just got to find it. For example, when you're young, you know, you 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 grow up thinking, man, man, when when I when my time comes, when I get into my 20s, when I get into my 30s, and and I'm I'm going to achieve this if I can just get the right spouse and the right job and, and the right house and the right stuff. I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to have a great life. And and then time goes on, and and you're not finding it, and and you start to get resentful. You start to blame other people and, and circumstances. Well, you know what? You know, it's out there. I'm not content yet, but it's out there. I just don't have the right spouse. I don't have the right job. I'm just not living in the right place. Maybe I need to, to change jobs or change churches or change my spouse because it's out there. I just have to go find it. We start blaming everybody else why we're discontent. And then, and then it, we become even more driven. And he says, ironically, what happens is that for many of us, we actually become successful. We actually do achieve more. We get that good job. We have that big house. And we discover, to our own amazement, we're still not content. Man, we thought that new car, that, that new house, that new spouse, we thought that would, that would just make us whole. And it's frustrating and even frightening to realize in spite of all of our success and wealth, we're still not content. In fact, comedian Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. 
And so our drivenness then turns to despair. We think, wow, what is it going to take for me to fill this hole inside of me? And we start to despair. We start to think, you know what? Something's wrong with me. I mean, I've changed my spouse. I've changed my job. I've changed it. I, I, I've tried. All, and, and, and I have all this success. And I, I thought this would make me. Ha- and I'm, I still feel like a failure. I'm still empty inside. I'm still discontented. I, and we lose hope. And we become despairing. Pause for a moment. Just pause right now. And ask yourself, can you relate to any one of these first four ways? Does it describe you where you're at right now? Maybe you're young and you're just so driven. And you think, man, happiness is out there. I know it is. It's around the corner. If I can just get there, if I can just achieve that, if I can just get there, get that, then I will find contentment. And somehow, somewhere, I'm going to get there. Or maybe now you're like 39 years old and you're sitting there thinking, wow, is this all there is? I thought by now I would have it. I thought by now it would be different. I never dreamed my life would end up like this. What do you, how are you trying to find contentment is 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 there any hope for you maybe you're even in your 60s now or or even older and you're asking yourself is this all there is and you're despairing and you're depressed see these first four ways think that contentment is out there you have to go find it but then these last three describe people who finally get to a point in their life where they they say you know what it's not out there Contentment isn't out there. And so what do they do? They try three different strategies. Perhaps they resort to altruism. Some rich people say, you know what? I thought I could achieve and accumulate my way to contentment. And, and here I am. I'm wealthy, but I'm still not that happy. So, so I start giving and I'm very, you know, I'm a philanthropist and altruistic and I'm giving. And, and, and that's all a wonderful thing. It's good to give. It's wonderful to serve. But you know what? If you're just giving just for yourself to feel better, it's still quite self-centered. If, if you're just giving to get your name on the plaque or that pat on the back, it's still quite self-centered. And then some people, they, 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 they just fall into cynicism and detachment. You get to that place where you say, you know, when I was young, I foolishly thought that contentment was out there. I thought if I could just, you know, have the have the right sex and have the right status and 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 have the right stuff, then then I would find it. But I know better now. You know, now that I'm older, I realize life stinks. And that's just how it is. And so you become cynical and even detached where you just don't even care anymore. Seven ways people tend to find contentment. How about you? What I want you to see today is that contentment is possible. You can cultivate contentment. You don't have to go through life driven, trying to find it around the next corner. You don't have to become cynical and skeptical and just give up. Whether you're young, whether you're old this morning, I want to encourage you. Christ makes contentment 
possible. Let me give you three ways to cultivate contentment. For those of you who had an outline, you're saying, oh, he's skipping that second part. Yes, I am. I might cover that next week, okay? So don't worry about it. But, but let's just jump to that third part, how to cultivate contentment. Remember the, 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 how the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians? The Apostle Paul is sitting in jail, and he's writing to the believers at Philippi. I have actually been there on location in that ancient city of Philippi, there in Greece, and, and right at that exact spot where the Apostle Paul was arrested. And then he, he writes sometime later to them, he writes back to that church at Philippi, and he says to them in chapter 4, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You hear what he says? He says, I've learned. I've learned to be content. It, it didn't come natural even for the Apostle Paul. You and I are not naturally content. We so easily think that it's out there somewhere. We've got to go find it. And, and, and he says, I, I've learned. I, I've learned how to be content, whatever the circumstances. Three simple ways to cultivate contentment. One is learn to trust. Learn to trust. Stop trusting in stuff. Stop trusting in the cultural wisdom that, that, that says it's in achievements and it's in status and it's in stuff out there. You, you learn to trust in God. Jesus said, believe in God. Believe also in me. Instead of listening to all the voices out there that, that want your attention and try to take you down a certain path, you put your trust in God. You put your trust in his word, in his message for you. You don't go through life feeling, oh, if I only had that. If someday, somewhere, it's a, no, 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 no. You fix your eyes on Christ. You learn to trust him and his promises. I love the passage right after this in Luke chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph, they take baby Jesus to the temple to perform their Jewish duties. And while they're there in the temple, two people, two older people, a man and a woman, they come, they come up to them. The first person to come up was an old man named Simeon. Simeon had been hanging around the temple for years. He was waiting for the Messiah. In fact, the Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would not die until he himself had seen the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. I wonder how many days over the years did Simeon go to the temple wondering if today's the day when I'm going to see the Messiah. Oh, I guess it's not today. Maybe tomorrow. And then this day finally comes. He's in the temple and he meets Joseph and Mary with little baby Jesus. And he takes Jesus in his arms and he prays a prayer of blessing and praise. And in verse 29 in Luke 2, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In peace. He says, I'm an old man and I've seen the Messiah. I can even die in peace now. I'm content. Listen, older men, maybe you're retired. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're just old, you're past your prime. Maybe you feel like you don't count anymore. Or the Lord's not that interested in you. The Lord's done with you now. Maybe you're even, because of all the hardships you've been through, you're even a bit doubting 
that God's still there for you. Listen, if you are still breathing, God has a purpose for you. Older man, keep trusting. You don't give up now, not after all these years. The prophet Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Older men, keep your mind steadfast. Don't let all the hardships knock you so sideways that you stop doubting in the promises of God. Be like Simeon. You keep on keeping on because one day the Messiah will show up. You learn to trust. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we gather in small groups. This is why we encourage each other and pray for each other. This is why we, we come here on Sunday mornings is to encourage each other. You learn to trust. A second way to cultivate contentment is you learn to thank. You learn to trust, but you learn to thank. Also in the temple that day was a woman named Anna. Anna meets Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus in the temple. And Luke tells us in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke tells us that Anna had been married a long time ago, just for seven years, and then her husband died. And she remained a widow all of her life. And now here she is, 84 years old. Anna is 84 years old, been a widow most of her life. Now, being a widow is hard even today. But wow, it was really hard back then. She spent most of her time at the temple praying and fasting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And here she is, 84 years old, and she's holding baby Jesus in her arms, and she gives thanks to God, and she's telling everybody about this Messiah, Jesus. Oh, let me tell you, older women, learn to trust and you'll learn to thank. Maybe you're a widow like Anna, and you know grief like most of us don't know it. And you've been through so much. If you are still breathing, God has a plan and a purpose for you. You don't give up. And you learn to thank. You don't give in to the temptation to become just gripey, malcontented person. In spite of it all, you learn to give thanks. You give thanks because God is good. And in spite of the hardships, you have so much to be thankful for. You refuse to gripe. You refuse to gossip. And you use what strength you have left for what days you have left to give thanks to God. It's something we can learn. Paul says, in Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Craig, I'm trying to find God's will for my life. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go here? Should I do that? And, you know, there's a whole discussion there, but, but Scripture is very clear right here what God's will for you is. 
whatever road you take, whatever plan you're taking, whatever decisions you make, it's very clear what God's will is for you. You rejoice always, you pray, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. You learn to thank, you learn to trust. And the third way to cultivate contentment is you learn to give. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You found more contentment in giving and blessing others than you do in just accumulating everything for yourself. I, I told you this story a long time ago, uh, but it fits so perfectly here. A father took his son out to McDonald's. And, and the father, he, he tells his story. You know, I took my son out to, out to McDonald's and, and we're sitting there in McDonald's. My son had bought, you know, Big Mac and fries and all that. And, 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 and I'm just sitting there. and I wasn't very hungry, so I didn't buy anything. He said, and so, but I'm sitting there, and you know how it is. The, the smell of the food is just so good. And you smell some of those fries, and you go, oh, I think I'll just have a couple. And he said, I reached my hand across the table to take a couple of fries, and my son goes, no, those are, those are mine. No, I know we have great young people here. You've never done that, right? And, and, and the father, he, he goes, I, I, was, I was a bit surprised that my kid did that. Because my, my son doesn't seem to realize that just a moment ago, I was the one who went up to the counter, pulled out my wallet, and I paid. Those are my fries. My son doesn't seem to understand this. My son doesn't seem to understand. I could take the whole box of fries away from him and say, we're going home. You get nothing. Or uh, my son doesn't understand. I could go up. I could buy my own fries. I could, I could buy 20 more fries. I, I, I could do that. My son doesn't seem to understand that I just want us to have some quality time together and for him to share with me. And before he could really say any of this to his son, he said, suddenly, the Lord spoke to my heart. And God said to me, son, don't you realize that many times this is how you act toward me? He said, God told him, you know, every fry you have, I've given to you. And sometimes when I ask you to share, you go, no, no, can't share. Wow. A ask yourself, what kind of son or daughter of the Heavenly Father are you? Are you going through life and it's all about you accumulating your fries? And when God says, hey, I want you to share, no. Now, of course, God wants you to have enough fries. Of course, God wants to take care of you and bless you and make sure that you have all you need. But that he also wants you to trust him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to listen to him. He wants you to, to share. First Timothy 6, the apostle Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Listen, don't run through life thinking, ah, oh, contentment, joy, happiness. It's around the next corner. If I can just accumulate some more, if I can just get a few more boxes of fries, ah, oh, then I'll be happy. No, it doesn't work that way. Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. 
What will that, what does it mean for you? You have to decide for yourself. I can't tell you, but what, what does it mean for you to start sharing your fries? Maybe for you, it means something as simple and as basic as giving regularly to CCC. As we come to the end of the year now, I can honestly and just very frankly tell you we're like $30,000 short of meeting our budget for this year. And it could be so easily remedied if more of us just gave regularly and faithfully. And so I'm asking you to consider that. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning and he's just saying, hey, as my child, you need to think about how many fries you're sharing. And you say, well, why, why, why should I give to the church? Well, I believe every Christian, every believer should be sharing generously, financially, with the local church that they happen to participate in. Why? Very simple. The church needs it. That's why. For ministries to happen. For us to have all of these ministries and these environments and these services for, for all these different people, the, the young people, the, the older people, and the community impact and the missions and for everything. It, it, it's just a reality that it takes finances to make all that happen. But you know what? Not only does the church need it, but you need it. Because when you, as a son or daughter of the Most High God, whenever you listen to your father and you share some fries, you put a smile on his face. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to cultivate contentment. Give us the insight and give us the courage to not seek contentment in all these ways, Lord. It's so common to our culture where we're just driven or we're resentful or we're cynical. Lord, give us the wisdom and the courage to not buy into that, but help us to seek contentment in you. Stir your spirit within us so that we can learn to trust you, to thank you, and to give for your purposes and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen.